Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the Minister at St Ninian's in Stonehouse, which is in Scotland. We are a local ecumenical partnership between the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. So let's listen to our reading for this week and then get on to the sermon. Our first reading today comes from Isaiah chapter 58 verses 1 to 12. Stuart's asked me to read from the message. Shout, a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back, a trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honouring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do, and love having me on their side? But they also complain, why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, if you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. 
I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. The second reading is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 20, and I'll be reading from the Good News Bible. You are like salt for all mankind, but if salt loses its saltiness, there is no way to make it salty again. It has become worthless, so it is thrown out and people trample on it. You are like light for the whole world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on the lampstand, where it gives light for everyone in the house. In the same way, your light must shine before people, so that they will see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to do away with the law of Moses and the teachings of the prophets. I have not come to do away with them, but to make their teachings come true. Remember that as long as heaven and earth last, not the least point nor the smallest detail of the law will be done away with, not until the end of all things. So then, whoever disobeys even the least important of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be least in the kingdom of heaven. On the other hand, whoever obeys the law and teaches others to do the same will be great in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you then that you will be able to enter the kingdom of heaven only if you are more faithful than the teachers of the law and the Pharisees in doing what God requires. Thanks be to God for his word. So the first thing to say this morning is it's important that we realise that today's reading from Matthew's Gospel follows directly on from last week's. So there'll be a test about what we talked about last week. Can anybody remember? I had to look it up, if that makes you feel any better. We were looking at the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. It was the very beginning of Jesus' teaching, his ministry, where he lays out this manifesto for the kingdom of God. And that's in some ways in opposition to the powers of the world. The people that had gathered on that hillside had come from all over the place. They had already been healed from lots of different things, and Jesus now begins to teach. We had last week this list, these Beatitudes we call them, this strange list of people who Jesus says are blessed, the meek and the poor and those who mourn. And then Jesus challenges the people who are listening about their ideas of status and success and power. He goes on to challenge them further to 
to be peacemakers, to be merciful, to be pure in heart. And up until now, the sermon's going really, really well. People are like, oh, that's great, he's talking about me, and we're being included, and that all sounds fantastic. And he's inviting them to be part of something bigger, something part of something really, really important, something that they've been waiting for for a long, long time. And then we get to verses 10, 11, and 12, and it starts to get a bit more difficult. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Brilliant. Oh, wait, persecuted? Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and take all kinds of evil and false things against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. In the same way that the people persecuted the prophets before you. That's difficult stuff because all the prophets get killed. Mostly they get taken out and murdered because they said things that the people just couldn't put up with. It was just too difficult. This new kingdom isn't going to come around by itself. It's going to take people, lots of people, and other people aren't going to like it. And by splitting up the two readings, we forget sometimes that they're part of the same story. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's talking to the same people. When he says, you are the light of the world, he's talking to the people who he's already said are poor in spirit or meek or or in mourning. We make the connection in the saying that people are the salt of the earth, don't we? Everyday people, good, honest, hard-working people are the salt of the earth. But Jesus also calls these same people the light of the world. That's just a bit harder, isn't it? Remember, until very recently, lots of these people have been sick, severely disabled. They're about as far from being important or models or or, or role models or, or the kind of people that would be paid attention to as it's possible to get. This whole kingdom of God thing isn't just about what Jesus can do. It's not just about miracles. It's not just about wonders. It's not just about going to your normal life as usual. It's about identity. Jesus is saying to the people in front of them, you are already this. You are the salt of the world. You are the light. Actually, the salt and light thing is a bit of a joke. Salt can't lose its saltiness. It just is salt. It can't be anything else. And in those days, people used oil lamps. And the bowl that Jesus is talking about is a bushel bowl woven out of a basket. You wouldn't put anything under that that was on fire because you'd burn the whole house down. But we missed that because we don't have those things anymore. This whole thing is about them. It's about a bunch of people who just a few days ago were discarded and degraded by society. These are people who have been changed by Jesus. And Jesus is now challenging them to change the world. This is all about them being who they are meant to be. Living out God's purpose for them. And it's heady stuff. It's a call to revolution, a stirring up of the people, encouraging them to take action against the powers of the world 
before it gets out of hand, Jesus brings them back down again with a bump. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the teaching of the prophets. I've not come to abolish it, so don't go getting ideas. Actually, I've come to fulfill it, to make it come true. This whole project is grounded in rules. But it's not about just doing what you like. It's not about overthrowing one tyrannical set of rulers and replacing them with another bunch of dictators. This is what God has been asking all along. Nothing that Jesus says in this sermon is new. In verse 17, Jesus reminds them of that. You have heard this. You have heard. So what's going on here? Because there's a definite change of pace and focus, isn't there? We've moved from blessing and possible persecution to revolution. And now we've come full circle back to the law again. So here's the problem. And it's the problem with any kind of rules. The world changes. And because the world changes, we need to update and interpret the law. Anybody watch the rugby yesterday? Yeah? The rules of rugby, sorry, the laws of rugby aren't the same as they used to be. They've changed. The rules of football aren't the same as they used to be. They've also changed, and nobody still understands what offside is. But they change. And for good reason. Rugby players didn't all used to be six foot eight and twenty stone. They are now. We make new laws because circumstances are different. Circumstances that didn't exist even five or ten years ago. And we try to interpret our old laws in light of these new and different circumstances. Our law, Scots law, is built as much on precedent as it is on the written code of the law. Because circumstances are different, aren't they? A judge hears a case and tries to work out how the law and previous judgments apply in these circumstances. So lawyers would present an argument, partly about the facts of the case, but also about other cases that might be similar, about the circumstances that might be the same, but they're not always the same and they can't always be identical. So the judge has to make a judgment about what laws might or might not apply in this case. One of the biggest mistakes that we make with Scripture is to hear Jesus' words in verse 18. In the old version it says, not even a jot or tittle will change. Not even the smallest thing. A jot, do you know what a jot and tittle are? They're little bits of Hebrew letters. You know, in French you get accents and graves and things like that. The wee bits above and below and, and they change the way that you say it and slightly the meaning and all that kind of stuff. Well, a jot and a tittle are like the dots on our eyes and the crosses in our T's. The smallest parts of the letter, but they make a huge difference. So if you don't cross a T, it's an L, isn't it? It makes a difference. Not a single jot or tittle will be changed in the law. But that means that the law needs to be wrestled with and interpreted for every circumstance. That's not changing the law. 
That's taking it very, very seriously. Every jot and tittle of it. Every week I stand here, having discovered something new about the text that we're given. And every week I hope that you go away having learned something, or being presented with something in a different way, or having a question raised, or having one of those amazing little epiphanies that we talk about, where something is revealed that was previously hidden. And it's because of that experience that happens again and again and again that I'm profoundly distrustful of anyone who claims for certain that they know what the Bible means. That's not at all what Jesus means will happen. That we'll somehow wake up and discover that there's a right answer and that everything will be settled for all time. That's not their tradition. Rabbis used to sit and argue with each other about what it meant to find wisdom in each interpretation, not to find the right answer. These people that are listening are from all over the place, remember. They've come from miles around, from all different communities and cultures, and they'll go back home to their different communities and cultures with all their different customs and practices. And they have to try to work out what the law means in their place and for their people. That's what Paul does when he travels around opening up the gospel to all the different kinds of people in all the different places that he meets. He's trying to help them to relate to it in ways that they can understand. He doesn't say the same thing to everybody. That's why the disciples, when they meet after Peter has his vision about a big cloth coming down from heaven with unclean food on it and God saying, take and eat, he goes back to the other disciples and they have an argument about it. And they decide that it is really a vision from God and that changes everything. It's what they do when they have to consider whether non-Jews need to be circumcised to be believers, to be followers of Jesus. They have an argument about it because it says in the law one thing. But does that apply in this case? Because circumstances are different. We're not asking people to be Jewish. So does that make it different? They wrestle with the law. They take it very, very seriously. They never write it off. They don't ignore any of it. They don't change one jot or tittle of it. And all because Jesus wasn't in any way interested in doing away with the law. He's not an advocate of breaking it. The very opposite, in fact. Jesus, law, Jesus wants the law to be kept, but to be kept in its entirety. Because when we do that, we start to live as God intends. Jesus' argument with the religious leaders is about their rigid legalistic application of the law. Which goes against the very purpose of the law. It goes against the reason that the law was given in the first place. It was given to help us to live well together. Not to beat each other up with. Remember the first thing that Jesus does is call disciples. People to learn. And then he heals people. Restoring them to wholeness. The disciples will learn how to wrestle with scripture. And the healings show what is at the very, very heart of the law. Wholeness. Righteousness. Right living. 
good relationship. The prophets have been reminding people and us for centuries and centuries that that's the case. Just look at the passage from Isaiah that Catherine read to us this morning. God isn't in any way interested in our empty, unthinking religion. He doesn't care about our fake fasting and he doesn't want prayers that are filled with empty platitudes. The people would have been stunned when Jesus says to them, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And that's not a joke. Jesus isn't having a laugh at the Pharisees' expense, not this time. The Pharisees were seen as the most righteous of people because they were the ones who dealt with the law. The ones who said to other people what it meant. They were the guardians of righteousness. And Jesus is laying down a challenge to the people. It's you. You are the people that God has chosen. All of you, everyone. But there's work to do. You have to take seriously your place in learning. Your place in interpreting. Your place in understanding the scriptures. And we do that together. It's not an individual pursuit. You have to take seriously the responsibility of being salt and light in the world together. You have to make that real. So how do we do that? Well, let's go back to Isaiah because he gives us more than a hint. What is it that God wants of us? To break the chains of injustice. To get rid of exploitation in the workplace. To free the oppressed and cancel debts. What God is interested in seeing you doing is this, sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this, and the lights will turn on, and your lives will turn around at once, because it's a different way of living. Your righteousness will pave the way, and God will secure your passage. If, if you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you're generous with the hungry, if you start giving yourselves to the down and outs, your lives begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. God says he will always show us the way to go. He'll give us a full life even in the emptiest of places that will be like a well-watered garden, gurgling as a spring that never runs dry. We'll use old rubble to build lives anew, to rebuild the foundations of our past. We'll be known as people who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, to make our community livable again. But that can't be done alone. It's up to you. It's up to each and every one of us. But we know that we're never alone. Isaiah tells us, when all that happens, God will answer our prayers. We will call to his help and he will say, here I am. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We post the audio of the whole service each week on our website. There are details of all of this in the show notes. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.